eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And now, a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real, you're already working hard to earn your money, but how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Welcome, welcome. It's the Jill on Money Show. It's Saturday, October 7th, and we are here trying to help you make better financial decisions, but also we like to bring you smart guests that will help you improve yourselves. Now, today we have someone who's doing just that. His name is Matt Abrams, and he has written a book that I was very happy to actually blurb. It's called Think Faster, Talk Smarter. And the subtitle will really resonate with many people. How to speak successfully when you're put on the spot. I just really like this guy because I met him through a friend of mine. He's a Stanford University lecturer. He's got a podcast. And this book does speak to so many of the people out there. I'm not one of them. I'm just lucky. But, you know, it basically helps you answer a whole host of questions like, how do you answer a question that you don't have the answer for? Or how do you avoid blanking out when you're speaking? Or how do you get out of a conversation you don't want to be in? I just, I don't know. It's like a very practical book, both in your real life, in your professional life. I think you're really going to like it. So here is the first part of our interview with Matt Abrams. Can we just talk about what your day job is first? Because you you are a professor at Stanford University, which I've heard of, the Graduate School of Business. So Matt, tell us a little bit about who you are. First of all, where are you from originally? So I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, a small little town tucked away in the foothills right before you go over to Santa Cruz. Uh, and I do lecture at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. I, I'm starting my 13th year. I teach strategic communication and I host their podcast, Think Fast, Talk Smart, and, and just try to help people feel more comfortable and confident 
in how they communicate. How'd you get into this? <laughs> it's an interesting question. When I, when I was a little boy, like seven or eight, uh, I had two fundamental experiences that got me just fascinated by communication. I'll tell you just one quickly. Uh, my mother one weekend got so frustrated with my brother and me for all the stuff that we had just lying around. So we had a garage sale and I grew up in a community where there were lots and lots of garage sales every weekend. And my mother instructed us to spell the word garage wrong on all of our signs. And if you insert a B in the middle of garage, you get garbage. So while all of our neighbors were having yard and garage sales, we were having a garbage sale. And we sold more stuff than anybody that weekend. And to this day, my mother maintains it's because the word garbage stood out from all the other signs. I think people thought we were stupid and they'd get a good deal. But regardless, I learned at that young age that words and how you communicate can really influence people. And I've been fascinated by that ever since. So a lot of people will say things to me about, you know, the fact that I go on live TV and I just talk and they're like, I could never do that. Why can't most people do that? Well, for one thing, we're very concerned about making mistakes. We want to look good and we want to do it right, whatever right is. And that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves. Uh, I often try to disabuse people of that. There is no right way to communicate. There are better and worse ways. And my goal is to help people just feel comfortable getting their points out. And then we can work on making them amazingly eloquent. And what do you think is the the barrier? Because, I mean, there are things that happen when you get nervous. And it can be, I'm not talking about going on network television, but it could be nervous about someone like said to me recently, like, I was at a cocktail party and I was with all of these people who had jobs and I'm at home with my kids. And as a result, I felt so anxious when everybody started talking about what they do for work. Actually, it was a man. So, you know, it was funny because he said to me, he's like, you know, they kind of look at my wife and they think she's at home. I'm at home. And then I have this whole like anxiety attack. And he says, I literally like start sweating. Does that sound like a familiar story to you? Oh, absolutely. I hear stories like this all the time. We want to come off as confident and competent people. And we often find ourselves in circumstances and situations that really test us. Somebody asking a question, making small talk, as you mentioned, somebody asks for feedback, or we make a mistake and we have to recover. All of these situations put our credibility, our competence on the line. And that's what makes many of us very, very uncomfortable. The good news is with a little bit of practice and work, you can be very comfortable in those circumstances. And I know it sounds a little counterintuitive that you can actually prepare and practice to be spontaneous, but athletes and jazz musicians and the like do that all the time. So let's talk about it. What do we do? How do we prepare to be spontaneous? Which I love that, that notion. Yeah, thank you. So so I think there are several steps we can do. The, the book identifies a six-step methodology that I've been teaching for a long, long time. The first four steps are all about mindset. And that has to do with managing your anxiety, reframing the circumstances, not a threat, but an opportunity, devaluing getting it right. It's more about connection than perfection. And then listening is a critical component of being an effective communicator. You know that in the work you do. Listening is critical. The second phase is messaging. How do I actually structure messages in a way that are concise, clear, and compelling? And then finally, how do you be focused so your messages are precise and concise? One of the problems with spontaneous speaking is people ramble on and on as they're trying to figure out what they're saying. So we need to be clear and concise and crisp. 
Okay. I'm going to talk about myself for a second, because even though I do this all the time, I think sometimes when I'm doing certain types of interviews, not radio, not podcasts, but more on TV, sometimes I do find myself thinking ahead and not staying in the moment. And it's only a three minute segment. So like, it's a problem, right? How can we help ourselves stay in that moment so that we're not saying to ourselves, oh, I have to get to that. I have to make sure I speak to the graphic. I have to do this. I have to, so what is it that we can do to calm ourselves down a little bit? Several things. First and foremost, taking deep belly breaths, like if you've ever done yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong, these deep belly breaths can, can slow down that autonomic nervous system. So you're not competing against yourself, focused internally on how fast your heart is beating or how much you're shaking. So if we can calm down the anxiety, that helps. Second, remind yourself in that moment when you're interviewing or you're engaged in small talk or you're giving feedback, the most important thing you can do in that moment is listen and pay attention so that you can respond appropriately. We often listen just enough to get the gist of what the person is saying, and then we race ahead and think about all the things we have to do. If you yeah. focus on what the person is saying, what's the bottom line? What's the key takeaway from what they're saying? That forces you to be more focused and ultimately serve the purpose uh, that you're having in that moment to interview the person, to get the information out, et cetera. So managing anxiety, being present through listening and reminding yourself that you are in service of the moment and of the person you're talking to and the audience you might have in front of you. It's not about you in that moment. How do you feel about just the spoken voice versus the video voice, right? Because there are times where you're on the phone and there's a whole habit that people have created around communicating, especially work-wise, on the phone. And then we get Zoom. And then there's this video component. So when you're helping people talk with a video component, what else do you add to that list of ways to focus? Because I think, personally, I think it's incredibly distracting. I much, much, much prefer spoken word, direct, because that way I can really, I can almost shut my eyes and listen and not be distracted. But when there's a Zoom and there's, let's say there's eight people on the Zoom, it's hard not to wander around that screen. What can we do to minimize that? So I think, Jill, you're showing your age and I feel the same way you do. The younger generation, it's all about the video. It's all about the screen. And so there's definitely a divide there. But I feel the same way you do. We, we grew up being used to just hearing people, not seeing them when we were remote. What I encourage everybody to do is when you are communicating, you are in service of the audience you're communicating to. It is more important for you to look at the camera as you are speaking on one of these virtual calls than it is to look at the people you're speaking to. Why? Because from their perspective, they see you looking at them. And that's how we're used to connecting and engaging. So we have to help ourselves get less distracted. Here's something I do. It's a silly little trick. I take a picture of my family who on most days I, I like and love, and I tape it right behind my camera. So as I look at the camera, I'm actually looking at a picture of people I care about. And that reminds me to engage and to connect. So we have to remove those distractions so we can demonstrate that we are paying attention and we're trying to connect. Now, while others are speaking, then we can look at the images to better take in some information that might be helpful. Unfortunately, I think the future is video. I think we're going to have more and more of this. So we're going to have to learn to adapt and adjust. You know, I think that's funny that you say that about younger people. They may be more adept, but they suck in person. Like the lack of eye contact 
is alarming to me. So I was with my very dear friends. They have three teenage daughters. I was having a conversation with like the 14-year-old, right? And mom says, look at her when you're talking, meaning to her daughters, look at me, Jill. And I thought that was an interesting instruction. What can we do to help? Let's call it if you're under, when you say younger generation, I presume you mean anyone under 35? The population I deal with most of the time are folks in their mid-20s as MBA students. But sure, let's say 30 or under. 30 or under. Okay. So they're better at the screen, not so great in person. What can we do to help mentor them along? So one, we can role model and demonstrate. Uh, and they recognize and they, they can see what good communication is. I see this happen all the time where they'll report to me that that conversation was really good or that presentation was really good. And I'll ask them, what did you notice? And they're good at identifying these behaviors. They're just not good at doing it. And part of it is practice. So we have to give them opportunities in their education, in the other activities that they do. Some of the best athletic coaches my kids have ever had have made them do some speaking either talking to the parents or standing up in front of their teammates and giving them coaching. So we have to give them experience. And we also have to recognize that COVID did a number on a lot of these younger folks. And they, they learned, literally learned in front of a screen where they were asked to multitask and do lots of things like look at what the teacher's drawing, et cetera. So we have to bring them back from that and say where connection happens is in the way that we look, the way that we listen, and the way that we convey our, ourselves through our body and that will help them. They can learn. My students, you know, get better at it, not necessarily because of what I do, but because they get the practice of actually working on this. Okay, tomorrow we will continue our conversation with Matt Abrams. In the meantime, if you want to go check out his book, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Again, the book is called Think Faster, Talk Smarter. I really enjoyed it. And tomorrow, here's a nice tease. We're going to teach you how to apologize, you know, the real way, not this baloney way. We want to thank you so much for listening. As always, if you've got a question, just go to the website, jillonmoney.com. Click the Contact Us button and do let us know if you'd like to come on the air and join us live. Don't forget to sign up for the free weekly newsletter. Do something nice for someone else today. Change your work, change your wealth, change your life. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com, we've done your homework.